The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Tuesday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. Chris Sims, Mike Florio here with you on Peacock, Sirius XM 85. Our friends watching the program on Sky Sports, we get moved around. It's a shell game. One day it's Sky Sports this, then it's Sky Sports that, then it's Sky Sports this. But so far it's been at least Sky Sports something. I can't help you find it. Chris is looking for something, too. I can't help him find it because we're not in the same room, fortunately for me. Good morning, I'm, Christopher. I'm How cleaning up my coffee. I'm doing good. How are you? I spilled a little coffee here to start the show. You know, I like to pour my coffee about the 10-second countdown and miss the mark here today. So I'm cleaning up a little right now, but I'm good. How are you? How did you miss the cup? Uh, I, I don't know what it is. You know, it's one of these mugs and it doesn't pour smoothly. So like I did it slowly and it kind of came down, you know, the bottom of the thing as it poured and like came out the backside there, you know, one of those annoying things. I didn't miss it really. It's just not a good pouring mug. That's why I'm blaming it on the mug. It's not my fault, coach. I didn't. I don't know why I threw that interception. Sorry, Coach. <laughs> There's a lot going on in that explanation, but I do have a vivid recollection of sitting next to you in that very room as you would deal with that extra little bit of dribble from. Yes, this is a little more than the extra. This is by, a little more <laughs> by licking it up, Gene Simmons yes, style. Right. You're right. I didn't do that today. I didn't want to do that on air, but I, I'm not below putting my tongue on the side of the the cup and licking up the drip. So I'm not, I, I would definitely do that if I wasn't on camera right now. <laughs> Johnny germaphobe, not, <laughs> not bashful about applying his tongue to any and all surfaces that have been touched by God knows what. So, uh, yeah, I don't know where to take the show from there. Maybe we should just call it a day. Uh, fine. We've learned good. everything we need I'm to know good. and that's it. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Okay. Um, <laughs> let, let's get to it. There's, all right, let's do there's it. still, even, even in this weird kind of lull, that we have hit between free agency 
and the draft. And I'm very careful how I choose my words here because I don't want to give EJ a montage. Hey, it's the slow time. We've been there and done that before. We are in right now the pre-draft post-free agency. Okay, we know more is coming. Plenty has happened. But as of right now, there really isn't a whole lot. So. I find myself searching a little bit more when it's time to sit down in my office to copy, paste, and snarky comment. But there are things that still fall out of the sky unexpectedly, like a clip that made the rounds yesterday. Cam Newton, 2015 NFL MVP, currently unemployed, looking for his next job. It's about a year ago that he was at that youth camp and... That kid, that kid was giving was him, giving the, him business. the business. Right, right. That that kid was Karnak. That kid was Kreskin. That kid had a crystal ball. Regardless, here's Cam Newton from the Million Dollars Worth of Game podcast, a Barstool Sports production, with his views on gender. Here's Cam. I had a, a perfect a perfect example of what a man was in my life by my father. Mm-hmm. My parents has been together for 36, 37 years now, and it's, and it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in a three-parent household, my mom, my father, and my grandmother. And uh, I knew what a woman was, not a bad bitch. Okay, what's the difference? A woman. Okay. A bad bitch is a person who's just, you know, Girl, I'm a bad bitch. You know, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I, I, I looked apart, but I don't act apart. Okay. You know, and it's a lot of women who are bad bitches, And I say in a way not to degrade a woman, but just to, to, to go off the aesthetic of what they deem is a boss chick. Mm-hmm. Now, a woman for me is handling your own, but knowing how to cater to a man's needs, mm-hmm. right? And I think a lot of times when you get that aesthetic of, like, I'm a boss, like, I'm a this, I'm a dad. No, baby, like, but you can't cook. Okay. You, mm-hmm. don't, know, you don't know when to be quiet. You mm-hmm. don't know how to allow a man to lead. You know, when I saw the tweet with some of the quotes and I started listening to it, I was expecting something that went completely off the rails and stayed off the rails. So initially I was like, well, I mean, this isn't great, but uh, Cam. And then it builds, and then the last 15 seconds, it's like Archie Bunker sitting in his in his uh, favorite chair telling Edith to go get him a beer. I, I just – and look, look, let me just say this right out of the gates. We're not trying to cancel Cam Newton. This isn't – cancel culture this is somebody saying something that causes others to say what the hell is he saying why is he saying it why does he think this way these are views that were outdated in the early 70s for crying out loud and it conjures memories of his press conference during the 2017 season when Jordan Rodriguez, then of the Charlotte Observer asked him about Devin oh, right. Funchess's physicality in running routes, right. and he was very dismissive and he said, "Kind of giggle like it's funny, funny to hear, yeah, funny right. to hear a female talking about routes." And it was so bad, the NFL issued a statement condemning what he had said. 
The NFL came out and said the comments were unacceptable in 2017. And that was when he had a job. That was when he was the starting quarterback at the Carolina Panthers. You know, Chris, viewing, setting aside how wrongheaded the comments were, how outdated they were, how cartoonishly laughable they were, he ain't going to get a job if he's talking like that. Definitely. No one's going to give this guy a roster spot because they're already not clamoring to sign him. 100%. There's already issues with having Cam Newton around because he walks through the door and he's Cam Newton and the other quarterbacks aren't, and you undermine your starter from the get-go. But you throw this on top of it, Cam Newton's going to have plenty of time to expand and elaborate on what he was saying yesterday because he ain't going to be playing football. No, no. I mean, I think his career was hanging by a thread, you know, even before this. Uh, you know, you, you laid it out the right way. I mean, one, he's an unbelievable presence in the locker room, can almost be somewhat of a distraction to a degree because of, you know, the lure of Cam Newton and what he was in the NFL for so long. So I think there's that aspect. We've talked about before, too. I don't think he's really your ideal backup quarterback to begin with. He's a guy that needs reps. He's not a guy that just comes off the bench and all of a sudden is on fire and throwing lasers all over the field. So just from that standpoint, you go, man, I don't know. Where's it going to work for Cam Newton? We know Carolina said some things, right, about, oh, they'd love to have him back. That's like the only place I really imagine him being or coming back to is Carolina. It's the only place I imagine having open arms with him. But this is going to throw you know, a wrench in any plan, right? I mean, again, a little bit of a sensitive time in the NFL right now teams in, in the public it's still you know kind of recovering from the Deshaun Watson thing we're still in the midst of that and then you're gonna you know say things that are just yeah out of touch a little disrespectful I mean not a little a, little. a lot sorry I know a lot and 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 I, I just don't understand why to go down that road and then to explain it the way you do Right. Hey, listen, I know guys talk like guys and people, hey, everybody talks their own private ways in their private quarters. Great. But you're Cam Newton. You got to know that when you got a mic in front of you, that it's going to be publicized. And when you elaborate on your, your idea of a woman and what women are and your description of it and then do it in an unflattering way, uh, just the fact that he didn't think that was going to be used or thrown out here in the public is is troubling too and i just can't even believe that he went down that road i really can't i understand there's a distinction between the private and public lives of everyone and there right. are certain things that right. you're not going to say into a hot microphone and anything you say can and will be used against you if you utter it into a hot microphone i'm just troubled by this image of cam newton sitting around the house saying these things yeah i hear you I mean, right. it's almost like a bad snl skit Right? Yeah. Like right. they did a reboot like, of so all out of touch. This is funny. Like, look at this guy. He's so out of touch. He's 35. He's, he's a man from 30 years ago, this guy. Look at him. We went back in time. It, Try it, 300. It yeah. I mean, I, I'm not yeah, 30. Right. Not 30. I'd say 60, 70, 80. You can't cook. You don't know when to be quiet. Yeah, that one is just You don't know how to allow a man to lead. Think about those comments in the context of the New York Times report from Super Bowl week that got the attention of six attorneys general. We talked about it last week. Yeah. The disrespect that is exhibited at the league office, allegedly. Right. And within some of the teams, 
also allegedly, yeah. toward women and minorities. But the focal point of the letter, the focal point of the report that sparked the letter was how women are treated, how women are viewed. The outdated mindset, ridiculously outdated. So outdated that it, I don't know how far back any of this was acceptable. So if it ever should have been or could have been or even would have been, I just, I'm astounded by this. And again, we're not trying to cancel Cam Newton. No. He may be trying to. He's doing a good job of it if Seriously. he's trying to. Right. I mean, this is, this is as simple as the guy states his views recently into a microphone for the world to hear, for the world to scrutinize, and for the world to react to. That's why people speak into a microphone. They're not doing it because they like the act of speaking into a microphone. You are using your voice to have it projected to those who will hear what you say and react to what you say, either by agreeing, disagreeing. The one reaction that no one wants to provoke from any time they speak into a microphone is nothing at all, is a, is a yawn, is boredom. So, you know, there's an effort to share views in a way that people will will find sure. entertaining and informative. But, my God, there was nothing informative. And it was only entertaining in a I-can't-believe-what-I'm-hearing sort of a way. Uh, and, again, when you consider the climate, you touched on it. Yeah. That letter from last week amplifies right. it. And, and when you consider that really only the Panthers were thinking about it. And, Chris, the Panthers are thinking about it for one reason and one reason only. Just like the right, big man right, they, right. They, having exactly. Cam Newton under contract is going to get people to show up. Right. They love Cam. They may feel differently after this. Yeah. But when, when he showed up last year, it was a mediocre team that no one was interested in, and it became a mediocre team that a lot of people were interested in, and they went to the games. So that's the only reason the Panthers would sign him. Because it's bright, shiny object. It's Cam Newton. Come watch Cam Newton. It's like Legends Day at Bank of America Stadium. He's not the guy he was seven years ago, but you can come see him in the flesh. Right. He's still a giant. He still looks like Superman. He just doesn't play as super as he used to. Come show up. Bring the kids. Buy plenty of overpriced popcorn and hot dogs and beer and enjoy your day out at Bank of America Stadium because, you know, the soccer team had 70,000 people here. If we can't at least get 50,000, we got a problem. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, that, that's what he would be to a degree, almost like a figurehead for the organization. Like, look, hey, here's our greatest player in the history of organization. He's still here. Look, smiling the kids in the stands, doing all of that. Get that, yes. And I think there's probably real value as far as Carolina's concerned for him in the locker room. Uh, I do think that that's one place where maybe it's a little different than the rest of the league because they know him. They know what to expect of him. I think he's happy just to be there, living in the area, and being in the place that he's most comfortable with. Uh, I believe in Matt Rule and the fact that he says, you know, they loved his energy in the locker room. I think that was a real thing. So that's where – and I think he he realizes he's not going to be the starter there. So he understands his place. It's 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 the, that seemed to be the spot. If it was going to happen, it would be there. I don't know. Maybe he's so big time there. It doesn't really matter. But, you know, the 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 thoughts and the comments, one are just shocking that you would say them out loud, you know, whether you think them or not. Right. It just to me, it's just shocking that there was no like governor in the brain or the mouth to be like, wait, you know, even though these are my thoughts or whatever, I shouldn't say these publicly. And two, it's just, yeah, it's a bad look. It just, 
it 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 it's archaic to a degree. Some of the things he said. It it lacks you know the touch of evolution and things that have been brought to our attention here as men in the last 30, 40 years. And, and then of course, uh, you know, all of those things going into it. Hey, I, I'm a guy, right? I have a traditional marriage. My wife does cook and do all of that stuff, right? She cooks. She's amazing that way. She's a real, you know, housewife and does all those things. But also, you know, I mean, what? I mean, keep quiet. She's the boss of the house. She tells me what to do. She's got a great, you know, social life and things she does, you know, as far as, you know, hobbies and all of those type of things. And, you know, it's just, it's, hey, everybody's got their own what they like out of their girlfriend, their woman, their significant well, other. But that crossed the line of like, whoa, we're, we're going back in time here and this doesn't even make sense. Somebody made a great quote yesterday and I can't recall who it is. I'd give them credit, but basically the gist of it was it's on Cam Newton's father for raising him the way that he did to think that this is normal. But at some point it's on Cam for not looking around and realizing it's not normal. This isn't acceptable. These aren't views you should be advocating that women should know how to cook and they should know when to be quiet and when to let a man lead. That is not the world we currently live in. Men lead, women lead. Relationships come in all various forms and shapes and sizes. Yeah. And men there is cook, no women good, cook. There right. is no bad. Right. Men lead, women lead. Men are quiet, women are quiet. It's driven by personality, exactly. not by what you're expected to be. If you choose to be quiet, that's your prerogative. If right. you choose to speak, that's your prerogative. No one's expecting you to be quiet because you're female. That feeds into, and this came out in the letter that was sent by the attorneys general and it came out in the report from the new york times the idea that women who are in a business setting who are assertive it gets frowned upon yeah man man decides he's going to be type a positive tell everyone what to do we're like oh yes sir oh that's a take charge guy Woman does it. Oh, boy. Oh, okay. Hey, settle down there. Settle down there. That's not the way it should be. That's the view of the world that Cam Newton was pushing. That's not the way it is. That's not the way it should be. And that requires people to think far differently than whatever they believed it should be back in the 60s, the 50s, the 40s, whatever. Ozzy and Harriet and Leave it to Beaver and this vision of Americana that – I don't even know where the hell it came from. Like, in what lab did they cook up the idea that this is the way that people should be? It's just it's like, weird it to me like now. It was like post-World War II, like, perfect family look that got just, created. Just weird. Right. It is just weird. weird. And it's a bad and, example in leadership from him to say that because, and, you know, young, young men are impressionable that way. They hear Cam Newton say those type of things, and they go, well, damn, I need to find a woman like that, or I need to tell my woman that. And that's no. where it's bad. He's not going to have he's not going to have uh, a lot of young men with whom he can be impressionable in a locker room. Not after yesterday, because he already was in a tough spot when it came to finding an NFL roster spot. If the Panthers were interested yesterday, I can't imagine them being more interested today. They're not going to be more interested than they definitely were. definitely not more after that. No, definitely not more. Right. And you consider what's going on in Carolina and this brouhaha with the practice facility and David Tepper. There's a lot of resentment of him. And hey, look, if the idea is you're bringing in Cam Newton because he's going to fill the stadium, 
you got some stuff to deal with now if you try to give Cam Newton a contract. And and it's all self-inflicted. It's all self-inflicted. The Archie Bunker stuff is all on him. And I think a lot about all in the family and how wrong it was. And it was funny because this guy was yeah, so, so over out of top. touch right. with the times. Right. And, and, you know, as an impressionable kid in the 70s who watched that show when everyone watched that show, the message to me was that's not how you act. This is you, – you come off as an idiot if these are the views you have right. on how the world should operate. They turned him into a guy who wasn't an authority figure. He was a walking punchline, and he wasn't aware of it. So um, – Anyway, the whole thing. The whole thing. No. I, when, I, yeah. when I saw the tweet yesterday, uh, we were passing it around on the PFT text chain, and it's like, uh, I, when I saw the, cl- the quotes attached to it, I thought, oh, boy, here we go. And when I watched it, like, again, at first I'm thinking, this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be because I was expecting it to be, like, really, really bad. And then it got worse. It got and worse, then at the end, right. At the end, he really, he really saved the worst for last. And then it just kind of ends. And, um, and, and, you know, I feel like there's more after the clip ends. And I kind of wanted to go find it. But then I thought, you know what? I really don't think I want to hear any more of this. And, and it's not like anything he says after the fact was going to put it in context. He said what he said. I didn't need to listen to anything more. The words were out there. Uh, It could have gotten worse. It could have gotten better. I don't know. I just had no interest in hearing any more from Cam Newton after hearing that minute or so. Uh, And, uh, uh, again, we'll see how open the door still is. I say it doesn't happen. That would be my my bet. With with all the things you, you just explained with Carolina, the fact that they're trying to figure out the quarterback situation. You got Sam Darnold there already. They're paying money to him. There's a chance here we're going to see them draft a quarterback as well. Uh, that, that's where I look at it. And then you add on the fact of, yes, this and, and other things that go along with it. I, I would say that Cam Newton is not on the Carolina Panthers now and ends up being nowhere in the NFL when all said and done here after this year or during this year. I think it's as simple as – if we're going to be mediocre too bad, we may as well be mediocre too bad with some style. And let's have a guy here that people want to come out and root for. And like you said, he'll smile. He'll give a football to a kid in the end zone if he scores a touchdown. It makes the day at the park somewhat less enjoyable. If they're going to go home with an L anyway, you may as well have fun for moments of that four quarters instead of having Sam Darnold, all due respect at quarterback. So, you know, and may, maybe, maybe we'll see what happens in the draft. Maybe they're thinking we draft somebody. That's when the door closes on cam. Yeah, right. But all the more reason to draft somebody and close the door on cam Newton. Let's close the door on cam Newton here as well. Figuratively and literally, we're going to move on to the next topic. Not that it gets any, any less delicate or uh, problematic, but Ray Anderson, former, NFL executive VP of football operations. He was in the job before Troy Vincent. He was a member of the league office for a long time, and he was part of the NFL when the Rooney rule was adopted nearly 20 years ago. He had some strong comments about why or if Dan Rooney's name should still be attached to it because of what it has become. Here's what he said, among other things. In that room, when we were talking about the Rooney Rule, what we talked about was it can't be short-lived. It can't be tokenism. It's got to be a deep and committed initiative that is sustainable. We thought we had an agreement and promise to that, but over time, we've reverted back to the same old practices. I think they should take the Rooney name off the rule that now has no teeth. It's an embarrassment. 
Mr. Dan Rooney was a real advocate and really meant to have change. I think it does a disservice to Mr. Rooney and the family. I would love to see them make change that is positive, but don't utilize Mr. Rooney's name anymore because now when you think of the Rooney rule, very frankly, it's a negative perception. I think that's offensive personally. Mr. Rooney deserves much more. And that's very well put by Ray Anderson. And really, the Rooney rule has become, I don't want to say a punchline, but very few people utter it and think of it the way that it was intended to be thought of, that it was some sort of a beacon for positive change. And it was an example of how the NFL was going to pull itself into the 21st century with the right approach to ensuring fair hiring practices. Now, it emerged from a point where the NFL was threatened with litigation. So I don't know that it was ever a good context for it to even begin. The NFL, fearful that it was going to be sued, decided we better do something. Yeah. And the problem is what they did. And, Chris, I saw it early on. You know, I mean, I, 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 I don't disagree with Ray Anderson's comments. But this started early on. First year, Matt Mellon violates it. First or second year. He violates it blatantly when he, when he hired Steve Mariucci. He fires Marty Morningweg late in the process. No minority candidate interviews for the job. Sherm Lewis says, that's a sham. I'm not sitting for that. Everybody knows you're hiring Steve Mariucci. Matt Millen hires him, and he gets fined a half million dollars. And then Jerry Jones hires Bill Parcells and does a, a very check-the-box move to interview by phone Dennis Green before he completes the deal with Bill Parcells to comply with the Rooney rule, and the NFL had to had to get rid of that loophole. Can't be a phone interview. It's got to be face-to-face. And I feel like the NFL spent 15 years chasing around teams that were taking advantage of loopholes rather than teams that were properly honoring the spirit of the rule. And the spirit of the rule is this. It's very simple. And Coach Dungy advocates this all the time. I don't think anybody listens to him. But the idea is don't go into the process knowing who you're going to hire. Exactly. Don't have a decision in mind when you start the process. Now, human nature is such that before you get rid of the coach you have, you want to have an idea of the coach you're going to hire. Sure. So I don't know how much of that is is even effective, but the idea is to convince these teams to not start with an ending point in mind. That's been the problem because I think more often than not, I was told before this year's hiring cycle, 70 to 80% of the time, they already had. They the already knew. Right, right. It's already baked in more times than not. It really is. It's already like baked into the point where I would think teams are more, more you know, examples than not of, hey, we're about to hire, fire our coach, and they've already narrowed it down to the one or two guys they they really want. I think it's very rare where it's actually a clean interview process where the team really not sure where they're going to go and they're going to just listen and really like evaluate the candidates. Very rarely does that happen. I mean, I feel like it's like once a hiring cycle, really. And, you know, as far as Ray Anderson's concerned, I mean, he's right. I mean, it, it's he's exactly right. It is it's it's gotten to the point where it is kind of it's a joke, period. And it's certainly a joke to the African American coaches, which is what we need to respect. They're all telling us this. They're telling us in plain day. It's disrespectful. And I think if you look at it in any other way, I mean, you know, I don't care how you you, you substitute people in and out, it is disrespectful. You know, the the rule has been disrespected. It is disrespectful also to the Rooney family. You know, Mr. Rooney was a guy that was at the forefront of this and trying to change it. And I know the NFL did this to, you know, spark positive change. But 
as we've seen here, it's been just taken advantage of. It has, and uh, that, that's where that's the, the the current place we're at. And and I think Ray Anderson said it right. I really do. I, I agree with just about everything he said right there. And the fact that you know maybe maybe the fact that we're disrespecting the African Americans so much in this process, maybe the fact that Ray Anderson brings into the fact that hey now we're starting to disrespect uh, older rich white guy that was a staple to the NFL. Maybe that'll open some eyes a little bit more to make people realize like it, it is disrespectful across the board to a bunch of people right now with how this is being handled. Well, and you know the Rooney Rule itself is going to become a problem for the NFL within the confines of the pending litigation that was filed February 1 by Brian Flores and amended last week to include Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton because the mere existence of the Rooney Rule confirms that there's a problem. Yeah, right. That these owners can't be trusted to engage in a diverse and inclusive search without a mandate from the league to do it. They can't be trusted to do it on their own. They have to be told to do it under threat of six-figure fine. They have to be told to do it. And even then, even then, they still find ways around it. And I remember, without even having to look it up, I remember I've, I've lived these over the years. When Dan Snyder decides he's hiring Mike Shanahan, period. Yeah. Jim Zorn's out, Mike Shanahan's in. Oh, what about the Rooney Rule? Oh, God. All right. What are we going to do here? Hmm. Hmm. I know. We interviewed Jerry Gray before we hired Jim Zorn. Let's go with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go with that. Okay. Didn't we have a conversation with Jerry Gray about something? Didn't Jim Zorn's name come up? Yeah, let's go with that. And I'm oversimplifying it, but that's basically what it was. That's how they complied. They interviewed Jerry Gray, who was a member of the staff, before they fired Jim Zorn. While the job still was occupied by Zorn. They interviewed a member of his staff to replace Jim Zorn. That's how they complied with the Rooney Rule. And, and again, the loopholes have been plugged. Now you have to have two external minority candidates who are interviewed, except after March 1, as we learned a couple of weeks ago with the Buccaneers situation. That's a loophole that's going to be plugged before it can be exploited by someone like Jerry Jones, who decides out of the blue after March 1 of any year, I'm throwing overboard the guy I have and I'm bringing in Sean Payton or I'm elevating a guy on the staff who's kind of the head coach in waiting and I don't have to comply with the Rooney rule. So, you know, there's been so much effort spent by teams to not comply with it. That that makes it even worse. They create a rule that demonstrates these organizations, these owners can't be trusted to have an inclusive devotion search without a threat that they must. And then they spend 20 years coming up with all sorts of ways to get around it. God, I, I, I'm... That, that makes for a hell of a case for Brian Flores, Steve Wilkes, and Ray Horton. And I know in their individual cases they have to have evidence, but when you consider the statistical hiring practices, when you consider this Rooney Rule shell game that was played and is still being played, that, that's, that's not good for the league that's not good, Chris, for anybody. No, it, of course it's not. It, it's not good for the league, and that's where there, there's got to be some different formula figured out here for the, the hiring process. And I, I just I don't know. You know what, what the that formula is? is? You know what yeah, the formula right. is? The what? formula is a jury reaching a verdict in the <laughs> tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars against the NFL. The formula is the NFL holding 
owners accountable the way that some think they're going to hold Stephen Ross and Daniel Snyder accountable, that there's going to be someone who goes down in order to get the other owners to realize you aren't covered in Velcro, not Velcro, Teflon. Teflon. You aren't covered in Teflor, uh, Kevlar, Velcro, Teflon, one of the three, whichever one protects you, you aren't covered it's in the that. Teflon Don. Come on. What are right. you? You don't know you, that? You don't, Come on. Yeah. yeah you don't, on. you don't get, you don't get just because you're the guy who has all the money and you go by the team and you're surrounded by sycophants who always tell you what you want to hear. There's, there's a point where that doesn't work anymore. And we're not going to let you be part of this club if you don't know how to properly run your business. And uh, that's what it's going to take because When you break it down individually, I feel like the attitude for the owners is, oh, this is great. This, Yeah, I agree. Great, great. Yeah, we need to do this. Somebody else will do it. I'm still hiring the guy I want. Yeah, uh, that's the problem. We've talked about it a lot. I mean, again, the NFL, it's it's baked in. It's deep-rooted in its whiteness. It is. Uh, It's just there's a lot of family trees and tentacles and connections of people that way. So that's where it's hard to overcome. I think there's got to, you know, to me, the the thing that I would like to see more than anything, at least to start, is kind of what Tony Dungy says. That, to me, would be the best way to at least make it fair right off the bat. It's just no interview process early. Everybody's got to wait at the same time for it all to start. So it can all, everybody, nobody gets a head start or, you know, there's no finagling, oh, we did this now and we're going to wait until this guy's done or whatever else. Uh, that that to me would go a long way to start the process, and I don't know. Do you? I, I don't know if there's anything else either. I got to think about it more. But uh, it's a tough spot that the NFL is in right now, and there is a real issue. Mr. Rooney is being disrespected with this crappy rule that's being taken advantage of. The whole Rooney family is, and that's certainly not a good look. It's not their intent. And Mr. Rooney, of course, was at the forefront of this whole thing. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know, though. The, the problem is how to fix it, and that's where I can't quite figure it out. Throw some ideas out there, but I just feel like even when I throw an idea, I go, well, these 32 owners will figure out a way to finagle that, too. And that's where I just don't know how to, how to get to the bottom of it. I do like the idea of delaying the process because through the delay, maybe an owner can be introduced to someone. Yes other than the one that they enter the process right, hell-bent right. on hiring. Right. So the passage of time. See, you know, what, here's what's the, the real challenge. You have to create an environment where there's an opportunity to change the mind of the owner, but to let the owner always believe he's changing his or her mind on his or her own, that it's not someone changing my mind. There's an occasion there for minds to be changed about what the predetermined outcome will be. But that person, that owner, that one who is used to exercising full and complete dominion over any and all assets that this person has acquired or inherited, as the case may be, that that I'm the one who's making this decision. No one's pushing me to make this decision. I Look, it's basic human nature. You give someone a lot of power and a lot of money, one of the things they want to do is exercise it and remind everyone that they have the power and money that allows them to do whatever they want to do. That's why I think sometimes the more that the league tries to push back, the more they push back is created. Yeah. Because we just want to remind you who's really in charge here. Yeah. And we want to remind you, Roger Goodell, who you work for. You work for us, Roger Goodell. We don't work for you. A little subtle, you know, rarely does someone articulate that, but that message comes through and the challenge becomes having 
the league more involved and finding a way to use the right touch, the right approach to get the owners to do the right thing and having them conclude on their own that the thing they want to do coincidentally is the right thing. Good luck with that. Yeah, good luck, good with, luck that. with that. Right. I, that's, that's, that is the problem. It's hard. The league is full of those, let alone the owners. But it's full of egos and, and guys and people that you tell them something and they go, screw you. How dare you tell me this? And they'll go out of their way to almost do the opposite just because somebody said it to them. I mean, it's, it's through and through. That's, this is coaches, front office, owners. They all got it, let alone we know the billionaire owners have that. I mean, yes, we do know that. So, uh, again, hopefully we can continue to start this conversation, or not start it, but kick around ideas and continue to get people involved in this. And, and I know we got people thinking of, of things, but, yeah, I, this is not an easy fix. It's not. It, it's hard to tell an owner who to hire, um, but it's not hard to make the process fair. And that's where I do blame the owners and the fact that they've not made the process fair. The fix is almost always in 90% of the time with all these hires. They never go in with a clean slate. Let me just take it for what it is and see each guy. They've already been sold a bill of goods by an agent or somebody they know in the league, and they they fire their head coach. They are 95% sure who they're going to hire after that, and the rest of it is just BS, BS, BS. Well, hopefully the litigation initially brought by Brian Flores will help change things. Hopefully the fact that six attorneys general are paying close attention to the way the NFL is doing it, its business will help change things. Hopefully whatever the fair outcome is for the pending investigations involving Dan Snyder and Stephen Ross will get other owners to realize that maybe they need to change. But you know what? Through it all, Chris, the Denver Broncos are for sale, and here comes... S. Robson Walton, heir to the Walmart fortune, worth $70 billion, and he's going to plunk down 4 or $5 billion, and he's going to be the latest member of Club Oligarch. Wow. And, and, this, and well, I mean, that's reportedly he yeah, was ready to make you. a bid, and he can, he can make whatever bid it's going to take to buy that team. If he decides he wants that team, he's one of the people walking the face of the earth who can write the check who can show up with the bag of cash or bags of cash that the case may be yeah, to be buy the bag. team. Right. If he wants that team, he's getting that team. Yeah. But again, it's another situation where we have the most rich and powerful people in the country who are in charge of these teams, and then you try to get them to do something different than what they want to do. I've paid my $5 billion. I'll hire whoever I damn well please. Right. Good luck. Good luck convincing that person to step back from that, because even if that person is walking into potential liability, you think Rob Walton is going to flinch? He's worth $70 billion. Do you think he's going to flinch at being embroiled in litigation for the next five years? He's probably been embroiled in litigation on some matter or the other for the last five years. You don't get to that much wealth and power and influence without constantly having the little minnows of litigation nibbling at your feet as you stand in the built-in pool on the third deck of your super yacht. <laughs> I've got the metaphors all screwed up there, well, but the point is good. they don't I, care. I, I, was good. I, was, I was enjoying I don't the think you're going to have minnows. You're not going to have minnows in the pool. Anyway, but I the mean, point is you they know, just you never don't know. care. You never know, right. <laughs> they just don't care. You're going to sue me? I've been, I've been sued for the last 50 years continuously. Sue me. I don't care. I got enough money that I don't care. When you got $70 billion, you don't care.
And when you own a football team who becomes that team becomes an it's like a point of pride for these. Like, how else do you measure yourself as somebody who is worth billions? You get to a point where, okay, I got 50 billion, 60 billion, 70 billion. Who cares? I got I got more money than I can ever spend, more money than I can ever count, more money than I could ever put in a room. I, I, I so I got a football team. And this football team is something that millions follow. And this football team becomes part of me. It's part of my identification. Yeah, so the better right. the team is, the more important and powerful I look. It, it becomes an extension of their ego. And damn it, they're not going to entrust it to anybody that someone from the league is trying to get them to entrust it to. They're going to entrust it to who they want to. That's the problem. Yeah. In a nutshell, that's the problem. No, it definitely is, Mike. It's a problem. It's rich problem, big money problem. And, yeah, there's, there's definitely going to be those issues in the NFL. So I don't know. I really don't know. I, it's a shame that we're in this process. It's a shame that people have made a sham of it, you know, so often. Um, but uh, I think all we can do is, again, bring light to it and, and continue to push the conversation, and hopefully we can get some real answers and <clears throat> some real detailed plan of attack from the NFL and people around it to fix the problem. Packers got it right. I, you know, and I've said this before. All these teams should just be corporations. Now, there'll still be somebody who rises up with all the shares and runs it and and is in a similar situation. But at least in a corporation, the CEO can be fired by the board. Uh, You can have internal committees and approaches and policies that will ensure that you don't have one person who runs amok. You don't have one person who is so permanently tied to the team. The identity of that person is inextricably connected to that team that that I just feel like at a psychological level we need a break like that we just can't have this this small group of extremely rich and powerful people who do whatever they want whenever they want however they want and these teams are an extension of their egos and they're going to run them however they see fit I, I just feel like that kind of unchecked power is not good for the league it's not good for the shield it's not good for anybody uh let's go ahead and take a break All right, when we return, Kirk Cousins, Davis Mills, two very different quarterbacks. How long will each be the quarterbacks of the teams they currently play for? We'll take a look at those two gentlemen when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Purple for six. This team went to the Super Bowl four times in the 1970s. Purple never rained, and they haven't been back. Michael. Who are the Vikings? You got it. Hey, Ken Jennings, kiss yeah. my ass. Way to go, baby. <laughs> Whoa. Eden, Vikings. Oh, but you're not, you're not offended. You're not really a Vikings, uh, Vikings fan. You like, you, I was in the 70s. No, you were in the 70s. I mean, really, I think if we, like, if we talked about 
like the the shows percentage of shows where something comes up about your Viking fandom. What do you think we'd be at? We hit it yesterday, so we're two 30%. for two. Oh, you're crazy! We, we barely get through a week without you doing it because every you show. Bring it up. You, you like bring to bring it up. it up. You bring it down. Yesterday, you brought us down a memory lane of a 1996 game against the Broncos, and yeah, I'm not a fan. I just remember every detail from games 27 years ago, but I'm not really a fan of that team. <laughs> And that's how some of the history of the league gets imprinted on our brains. That's yes, how you know I things know. about the NFL because you you were uh, a, a Giants fan, fan yes, and still I are. Know, but I know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I watch Jeopardy every night, and it's I, I am both amazed, right, and also horrified by the stuff I do know. Yeah, I always I always get a little dopamine rush when the question is asked. And the three contestants have no idea what it is. And I knew what it was. Right. I If that happens once a night, I feel pretty good about myself. The rest of the time, I'm like, what is that that they you. just said? Uh, yeah. What is that word? I hear What you. is that? Who? Who? I like what? to turn it on, too. I'm with you. You know, my, my old Aunt Wendy, that's where you guys need to hang out. She's a and doesn't miss a show ever. But uh, there is shows where I come away going, damn. I'm a little smarter than I thought. And then I'll watch the damn show two days later and go, holy crap, I didn't know one answer. I'm dumb as a box of rocks. It's, a, it's, a, it's a just amazing how sometimes it can hit with as far as the categories and your knowledge of them. That's really what it comes down to. There are certain categories oh, where I, just, <laughs> I would be right. lost like <laughs> right. a little kid right. in the biggest store right. in town, and I have no idea where mom and dad went. Yeah. That's the feeling that I would have for the entire category. And it amazes me when there's someone who can seamlessly shift between European art history yeah, right. and recent pop culture and, you know, the, the, the one thing that 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 really does shut a lot of them down a lot of them is sports questions yes, a, lo a no lot of question. them meet the water's edge of their knowledge when it comes to sports questions yeah, but, it's amazing but even, actually even then even then some of the sports questions i kind of draw a blank so uh yeah i I, just, I put it on every night and you know what i'll find myself doing i'll have it on while i'm working and i'm caught up in what i'm doing and it's like i really haven't been paying attention for the last five minutes so i have to roll it back and Listen to the last five minutes because I, I I feel like if if you learn one or two new facts, it's, it's worth the it. half hour. Yeah, I'm with you. And if you if you have that moment where you knew the answer and the other three didn't, that that's pretty good too. And if if I know Final Jeopardy, if I know that, I emerge from the experience thinking I'm not as stupid as I thought I was. Yeah, yeah, debatable. We'll see. <laughs> well, I said as I thought I was. Yeah, right. <laughs> I keep a very low bar. Life is easy if you keep the bar low at all times. Ergo, my history as a Vikings fan. I've learned to keep the bar low. Now we got to talk about some Kurt Cousins, the Minnesota Vikings. You love him. It's on the outline. It's on the outline. Um, here's Kirk Cousins from yesterday talking about why he signed his one-year extension that puts him under contract with the Minnesota Vikings through the 2023 season. I think the short answer is I want to be a Minnesota Viking. Um, uh, you know, I, I wanted to help create some cap space uh, so that we could put together the roster that you do feel really good about. And um, and I think it, it was just trying to always, you know, find win-wins. And I think it was a way to create a win-win. A and, um, 
uh, and then hopefully that leads to a lot of wins this fall. My mindset was really to be a Viking. Um, I would like to retire as a Viking, and so I would like to play my way into that, if you will. I know i got to earn the right to do that, but uh, if, if I could draw it up, it would be play well enough that they're never, you never have to play or wear another jersey anywhere else. So. That's um, your quarterback forever, Mike, forever. That's your well, guy. But he's not acting like I know. he wants to retire a Viking because he's doing these little short-term deals, three years, three years, two years. And, well, who is and that's his prerogative. Yeah. Well, well, uh, Patrick Mahomes isn't. I know, but Patrick who, Mahomes. No, I'm saying who is it, though? Do you think it's him more or the oh, team that, uh, oh, that also wants I thought he said that. who isn't. Yeah, I think yeah. he said who right, isn't. Right. I, I think it's him. You do I think, think it's him. Okay. I, think the, I think the team always would like to add – the three years on the back end or four years on the back end where the team controls the player's rights one year at a time. These contracts are good for the player. If you are confident that you're going to stay healthy and you're going to continue to be desirable to other teams, it's always better to do a short-term deal. It's always better. I mean, the best contract for any player would be one year. Every year, back to free agency. Every year, back to free agency. I know I'm good. I know that teams are going to want me. Back to free agency. One year after another. Um, now that doesn't do much by way of creating a, you know, a, 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 a practically sound cap strategy for a team, but uh, not two and three year deals don't either. So the the Vikings have been over a barrel with Kirk Cousins. They were there earlier this year. I'm surprised Cousins did the deal. Cousins had them. He had them, and he told me last year. He was doing the media tour for sleep number or whatever pre-Super Bowl. He wasn't inclined to extend his contract with the Vikings. Now, that was when Mike Zimmer was the head coach. See, I think that the hiring of Kevin O'Connell made Kirk Cousins far more likely to cooperate with the Vikings. And if they had hired Jim Harbaugh, I don't think he would have cooperated with the Vikings. I don't think he would have signed the extension. Hiring O'Connell was a big step in my mind in getting him to extend his contract for a year to give them some cap relief. And now everyone can make a decision after 2022 whether or not he's the guy for the next five years or they're going to come up with some other solution. You're right, right. I, 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 I feel, and, and again, Mike, I, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong or you're right. I don't, it feels like neither – party wants to be married to each other too far down the road that they both want to kind of like take it like let's take it one or two years at a time and see where it goes you know Kirk Cousins is that quarterback where you know he, he he's good he's a good quarterback you don't just throw him overboard for oh we just need a new quarterback as we've discussed he's top 10-ish in the NFL 11 12 whatever somewhere in there and when we get into those kind of guys, you know, that's how you always explain it. And I think you do a good job of that is he's a guy that, yeah, he's not going to make plays happen. The play breaks down. He's not going to like, oh, I'll save the day and run around and make a few people miss and then throw a 40-yard laser. No, he's he needs a system and some things in place. But when he does have that, he can tear your butt apart as far as the defense is concerned. You know, He is smart. He's got a pretty good arm. You know, He understands how to play in the pocket. So there's a lot of good there. You don't just let that go down the river. But he's also one of those guys that a certain faction of the fan base is always going to go, oh, well, I wish we could get one of those guys that could, you know, make amazing plays or just a little sexier or more fun to watch. And I don't know, Mike, that's just kind of the feeling I get out of there, that both are kind of taking it day by day right now evaluating the situation. 
Well, Cousins is a guy who can play very well for you if everything else is going exactly. well. Right. The defense has to be good. The offensive line has to be good. He's got great receivers. He's got a great running back. But we've seen it time and again when the walls close in on Kirk Cousins, he cannot improvise. He can't make a second play happen on his own if the first play isn't there. That's the problem. Yes. So the team has to be good enough to allow him to have the first play. That's why I thought a trade to the Colts would have made a ton of sense when we were kicking around ideas and potential destinations. The problem is, and I know plenty of Vikings fans wanted to get rid of Kirk Cousins, but if you trade Kirk Cousins, who, who's your quarterback going to yeah, be? Right. Does Matt Ryan then fall out of the sky as the Vikings quarterback? And would Vikings fans want that? I don't know what Vikings fans want other than a Super Bowl win. They just don't know how to get there. And... There's no viable alternative to Kirk Cousins right now. So you try to get what you can out of Cousins, prop him up, block for him, have the defense play better than it was last year. And last year it was not good. Uh, And, uh, you know, that's why there's a new coach. That's why there's a new GM. That's why they're moving forward with a new approach. And the challenge is can they get enough around him while he's still good enough to deliver? But, you know, Chris, I don't know how long he plans to play. He's got that that tower in front of his house with all the rocks in it that that total all the months in his life up to the age of 90 or something. He takes a rock out every month as a reminder. He's getting close. It's kind of morbid, but it's kind of like what we say on PFTPM every Friday. We're another Friday closer to death. Every month he's another rock closer to death. But I don't know how many rocks are going to be left in that that thing when he retires. But when you consider... The arm, the mobility, I mean, he's kind of Tom Bradying it now. Yeah. And he can play for 10 more years if he wants to. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he can. I mean, he's the kind of guy, you know, again, like you explained, if you put the right support around him, you know, it's, it's how I explain guys like Brady and Kirk Cousins at times. Now, I know Tom Brady's better than Kirk Cousins, but my point is the fact that, you know, they can uh, – Kirk Cousins – he could take it, you know, take advantage of more. Like he can make more out of more, if that makes sense. But he can't make more out of less. And and I'm going to explain myself. You know, to to the point where you always say, make more out of less. Yes, if there's a few offensive linemen hurt and the system's not delivering that day, he's not going to make it happen. He's not going to be like, oh, Josh Allen, Mahomes, don't worry, guys. I'll throw sidearm and run around and make people miss, even though we're not playing our best, and we're still going to win because I'll make it happen. No. But, and this is why I think you do kind of see it out with Kirk Cousins. You got a guy now with Kevin O'Connell who we know has been with some guys that got a system. And, you know, that's where Kirk Cousins has great value. That's why the Shanahan's and the McVeigh's of the world's like him because he could take advantage of, of all that a system has to offer. And if it's a great system with a great coach who's smart and creative, he could take advantage of every little thing that that coach can set up for him. And that's where I think Kevin O'Connell and that whole group there is hoping that this works out the right way. And that's why those kind of offensive minds like Kirk Cousins, for sure. You know, that that's again, that's Brady too. Brady on a greater level, but he could take advantage of all those Josh McDaniels, Bill Belichick, 90 million plays and rules and things, and boom, and I'll work it like a machine. But I do think if you put Brady in Kansas City, it ain't going to look like Tom Brady. It's not. It's the, you just drop back, and we got guys going this way and that way and make it happen, Tom? No, he wouldn't be Tom Brady, and we wouldn't know him like that. So that's where it is a little different that way, to your point with Kirk Cousins, and I think they're going to kind of see how this marriage works between him and O'Connell.
Well, and the ultimate difference between Cousins and Brady is in the big moments, in the big spots, who steps up and who steps off. We've seen Cousins very rarely step up in the big moment. Yeah, Brady's amazing. On the line, game moments. on the line. Brady, right. Brady finds that. He, he thrives on that. He does. Finding that ability right. to make the big play in the big spot, almost to the point where it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. That the guys Seriously. on the field are right. like, oh, oh, God, here it comes. Right. Here it comes. Right. Here right. It comes. Yeah. Rams up big, right. 27-3. Here it comes. Here he comes. Yeah. Here he's going to make it happen. And, and yeah. it, when you have the history of doing it, you become more confident that you're going to do it. The other team becomes more confident that it's going to happen, and there it goes. Yeah. And I think the flip side is true for Kirk Cousins. He's got to, he's got to bust that narrative. Yeah, no doubt. And that, that's why when they beat the Saints with the overtime touchdown to Kyle Rudolph, right. 2019 season, that was when it felt like he was starting to change the narrative, and then they flew into a window in San Francisco and, and lost there. They had an opportunity to win that game against the 49ers, and, yeah. and I think that's, that's where it went the other way, and we've seen the Vikings kind of fall apart since then. They got as close as they were going to get. They hit their limit, and then the last two years have been abysmal. They, they have a lot of work to do to turn it around, and Kevin O'Connell has yeah. his work cut out for him in Minnesota. All right. Uh, Lovey Smith has his work cut out for him in Houston. One of the few teams in the AFC that aren't real contenders is the Houston Texans. Here's Lovey Smith at the start of the Houston Texans offseason program talking about Davis Mills as the quarterback of the franchise. You look at all of my comments about Davis. I am a believer in him and uh, what he's going to do. Eventually, he's got to do it all on the football field consistently where everybody loves him, every snap and all of that. But um, before a guy has played enough to do all of that, it's just uh, he shows up every day. Availability, he is available. And he has recruited other players to come here. And what the guys see him doing is just working. And when I say I believe in him, help Hamilton, uh, second year in the system, all of these things. And if you just go back and look at the plays that he made, throwing the ball downfield last year, so many good things that he did. And that's as a rookie. The improvement that you see from year one to year two is normally, you know, a big improvement. And that's what we're going to get from him. Look, I, I think that the Texans understand that they're not going to be competitive this year. Why go out and swing for the fences on a quarterback that's not going to make the team dramatically different? I mean, they'll be competitive in individual games. But they're, if, if they're even in remotely the conversation for a playoff appearance, that's a huge win. Yeah, it'd be shocking. I don't think anybody's expecting right. much. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I think that – and I said this yesterday on PFTPM. It's a very unique situation in Houston because the owner seems to not be – caught up in the idea that we got to turn this around right now yeah. he's basically under the full and complete spell of jack easterby who has nick casario there and casario's got the flexibility and they may have another head coach by the time they actually start their push toward being a perennial contender but i i just i don't think that Competing for division titles and championships is one of the big priorities right now for the Texans. They kind of understand who they are and where they are. And now is the time to let Davis Mills be the quarterback while they figure out what this team is going to be moving forward, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think so. I, and they're in it for the long haul or the long play right now. They're not trying to make a quick fix and, oh, we got to be you know competitive right now. We, we, we kind of realized that last year. It seems like, yes, they're going to let Nick Casario – 
have some time to build the roster exactly the way they want it. And Davis Mills, I, I understand them. First off, you know, where they're drafting number four in the draft, I don't think this is a year you want to take one of these quarterbacks at number four. I don't think any of them are worthy of that pick. Certainly not. And, you know, also you got a quarterback that showed promise last year in Davis Mills. I mean, he's a guy that I don't think from what he showed, you, you give it a chance unless something just absolutely just knocked you in the face where you're like, oh, my gosh, this quarterback's available. We're going to take him. He's definitely better and awesome or whatever. You know, Davis Mills, yes, as a rookie, especially after he got benched and then came back in for that second stint, was a different player, took care of the ball for the most part, started making some throws where you went, ooh, wow, okay. So I understand them staying the course with him, and you know they need to—they're they're, going to try to evaluate this a little bit more. Maybe they got a guy here. You know he seems smart. I thought coming out of Stanford, you know he was a kind of a natural at the position, but it's similar, and I think even on a, maybe a lesser scale, at least in my opinion, as we sit here right now, of what we just talked about with Kirk Cousins. This is a system guy, in my opinion, and his arm's not even as good as Kirk Cousins. To where that that's where it's a little different. I don't know if he's ever going to be a guy that's going to make game-changing throws or game-changing plays, you know, when things are a little off kilter. And that's the part I need to see a little bit more. And uh, but but hey, Nick Casario, that group up there, I can understand them liking him. And Lovey Smith, the defensive coach, the guy's smart, takes care of the ball. I get it. This gets back to what we were talking about earlier in the program when it comes to ownership of teams. You either have enough money to go buy a team or you are in the right place from the perspective of the reading of the will to inherit the team. Cal McNair inherited the team from his father, and the team has not been great in the past few years, especially the last two years. Eight combined wins in 2020 and 2021. They had six playoff appearances in nine seasons, never got farther than the divisional round. Four losses in the divisional round of the playoffs in 2011, 2012, 2016, and 2019. They lost a couple of times in the wild card round. And I guess you have to ask yourself, if you're Cal McNair, like, if, if we're not even going to get to the AFC Championship game, like, I mean, what's, our, what's really our priority? And Golik and I were talking about this yesterday. For a lot of owners, it's just make as much money as you can. And I suspect that most organizations have a secret spreadsheet somewhere that shows their profitability in the years where they get to the playoffs and have spent the money necessary to be a playoff team and the years where they don't get to the playoffs and they haven't spent the money, but they're still making a crap load of it. There's probably a lot of teams out there that make more raw profit in the years where they're not very good. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that. I wouldn't, you know, especially for those teams every now and then that, you know, just out of nowhere, make that huge push of, you know, cash and spend a, Okay, we we flip things around for, you know, a year or two, but we don't really know how to, you know, bring guys up the ranks as far as developing or fill in holes through a free agency. So now we're back to not being good and hey, oh well, wait, we realize, yeah, we do make money when we're not that good. I, I wouldn't be shocked by that at all. I wouldn't. Um Houston's in a in in a state of flux as it looks right now. Definitely. And it seems like they're gonna kinda build their team evaluate the guy they got a quarterback they think he's got a chance and then they'll see and if that doesn't work out well, I would you know they're going to be firmly in that quarterback draft or big free agent quarterback next year conversation over under on the number of years Lovey Smith serves as the head coach of the Texans two and a half 
is the over-under. Which side are you taking? I, I mean, as it looks, the way, I, you know, again, I like Lovey Smith. I'm not talking about what I think of him. I think it'll be less than that. I do. I don't know. This just seems, again, it was fishy with how it all came up. Lovey Smith was not in the finalists for the job. And all of a sudden, the Flores thing happened, and it's like, oh, crap, we got an issue here. Hey, Lovey Smith, you're black. Let's start interviewing you and see. I mean, that's what it seems like. I mean, he's certainly qualified for the job. I know that. But it just it seemed like it was a little bit of a dart at a board to, you know, avert, you know, a major disaster through their eyes in the NFL. I think two teams moved in dramatically different directions at head coach because of the Brian Flores lawsuit. One, as we have previously discussed, and Dolphins fans and Buccaneers fans and Saints fans don't want to accept. Sean Payton was the target to be the head coach of the Dolphins before the Flores lawsuit. And in Houston, I think if the Flores lawsuit isn't filed, Josh McCown's the head coach of that team right now. I really think that. And I think if it had come down to Flores versus McCown as the finalist, Without the Flores lawsuit, McCown gets the job. Even in a stare down with a guy who's been an NFL head coach for three years, an assistant coach for a generation before that. Josh McCown, no coaching experience at the college or NFL level. I think they would have hired Josh McCown if it came down to him and Flores. And it did come down to him and Flores. And what did they do? They punted. They went and got Lovey Smith, and Lovey Smith, I, th- I guess Smith has said, well, you know, I, I was a candidate all along. Well, nobody bothered to tell the media that. Nobody bothered to leak that. When Nick Casario was telling whoever who the finalists were, Lovey Smith's name wasn't on the list. No. And, and, and if they got it wrong, that would have been the time for them to say, oh, wait, there's not three finalists, there's four. Make sure Lovey Smith's name's on that list. Agreed. There was nothing on anybody's radar that I know of talking in the NFL that Lovey Smith was going to be the guy or at the forefront of their discussions for the head coach. I mean, it, it seems like it took a total right-hand turn, left-hand turn, whatever the hell you want to talk about, right when the Flores decision happened and lawsuit happened. And that's where things, yeah, went a different route. But uh, that, that's, I don't know, Mike, what do you think? You were two and a half over under. What are you taking there? Under. Yeah. Under. I know. Unless, unless, unless the lingering pressure of the Flores lawsuit. And we don't know how long it's going to take to resolve. Right. Because here's the, here's the reality. Here's the reality. Lovey Smith was in on the tank in Tampa Bay. And to his credit, when he was fired, he never stood up and said, hey, they tanked in that Week 17 game in 2014 against the Saints. They told me to take out half the starters so that we'd lose that game so we'd get Jameis Winston. But I look at it this way. If they aren't, if they aren't careful and they kick Lovey Smith to the curb and Lovey Smith has an epiphany as to what really happened, he may be deluding himself for now about what really happened and how he got that job, you kick him out of that job after a couple of years, and he may say, you know what? Those bastards, uh, sorry, all due respect, those people, they, they, they hired me just to, because they couldn't hire the guy they wanted to hire in Josh McCown because of the Flores lawsuit. They, they, you know, and, and then the next thing you know, you got Lovey Smith running to court, and I'm not saying that in a derisive way. I'm saying that in a he'd have every right to. He'd have every right to if they if they, you know, if this scheme is exposed, that his race was a factor in him being hired. 
because of the Brian Flores litigation. And then they turn around and fire him and not give him a real chance. Treat him like a bridge coach, like Steve Wilkes is complaining of being. I I think that for as long – you know what? I'm going to go over now. You're going to go for over? For as long – because I don't think the Flores litigation is going to be gone quickly. And uh, as long as that case is around, I think the Texans would be very wise to continue to perpetuate the ruse – that Lovey Smith was the guy they were going to hire all along. And I think you and I both can can justifiably develop an opinion that they wouldn't have hired Lovey Smith but for the Brian Flores lawsuit. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, their last two hires both seem like a ruse. I mean, it, it, David Culley seemed like it was a one-year holdover for something else type of move, and this as well. But at the same time, they're going to be able to argue and go, hey, we hired two African-American head coaches, which is, you know, of course, a bunch of BS if there was no real commitment to the long-term future there. And that's, that's the problem. I don't think so. I don't think the Texans even care sometimes. I'm not sure. I think Nick Casario, I don't want to say that about him. I'm not sure ownership really cares about how they look to the rest of the world. I don't know. That would be my assessment. Well, but if that's the case, it would have hired Josh McCown. Well, okay, that's a good point. I don't know what to say that. I don't know what to say there. You're right. You're right. I don't have a comeback for that. <laughs> but really, if they truly didn't care, yeah. they would have hired Josh McCown. I think slash kind of know that, that the league got involved All right, so see, in nudging these teams yeah, toward that's what I would think doing too. something right. that would be for the greater good. And, you know, if Houston ends up getting a Super Bowl at some point down the road, there's not going to be any tracks that would lead it back to Cal McNair taking one for the team, taking one for the shield, being the shield of the shield and hiring Lovey Smith at a time when he wanted to hire Josh McCown. That's what makes, and I know we're way off track at this point, but you know what? No one's tried to rein us in yet, so we'll keep going. That's what makes the litigation fascinating if it plays out in a traditional court, through traditional discovery, with the traditional processes of tracking down text messages, emails, and grilling people under oath. Because people, when they're in situations like this, yeah, they're careful, but they're never as careful as they need to be. When things are being reduced to some form of writing, there's always going to be that one document, that one thing that you find. That one thing that the lawyers are tempted to, to bury. And, and in today's digital environment, it's impossible to shred a document and act like it never existed. There's going to be a digital footprint. That one text message, that one email where you let your guard down just enough and you said something that haunts you in the litigation. So that's why I hope this plays out in court because any other effort – we're not going to have the benefit of seeing exactly what the Texans did and why they did it. But I suspect that the lawyers will be able, as they delve into this, because now they're a defendant, because Brian Flores is arguing he wasn't hired in retaliation for his lawsuit. And I don't agree with that. They would have hired Josh McCown but for the lawsuit. But, but they, they're going to have the license to dig around in all the communications. And they're going to be able to talk to Nick Casario and Cal McNair and Jack Easterby and Janice McNair, who was in on some of these interviews. And they're going to be able to – I may be getting the name wrong. 
but regardless. Okay, but Kyle's but, wife. I think it's Hannah McNair. It's Mrs. Mrs. McNair. McNair. When, thank when you. in doubt, just say Mrs. Yes, McNair. Yes, very, yeah, very but, easy. But, yes. But the point is this: they they are they are tied to this now, and they're going to be spending a lot of time. If this stays in court, they're going to be spending a lot of time trying to trying to sell to the lawyers who are coming after them very aggressively that that what they did is real and not some ruse aimed at, at helping the NFL take some of the heat out of a very hot kitchen. Yeah, I know. That's where that's where I, you know, I go back to what I said a few I, I don't think they really care. I think they yes, maybe took one for the team that way. You know, I, I don't think they're gonna be scared to pull the trigger if things don't go this well this year and there's a coach out there who they like and he's white I think they'll make the move and get rid of Lovey Smith, too. I do. And then the other thing, Mike, I want to just say, because we're, you know, taking our guesses or whatever else, do you really think it's going to stay in the court? Do you really think there's a chance this plays out the, the way it should? I mean, again, I just feel like I've been following the sport for a long, long time. The NFL is going to win this battle. It's going to go to arbitration, and we're never going to hear any of this stuff. Never. Well, I'm hopeful that it will. And I'm hopeful that there's enough. The, the law can be very malleable. And I'm hopeful that there's enough precedent out there, that there's enough discretion out there, that a judge looks at what's happening in this case and takes a broader look at what's happening with the NFL, even though that stuff technically isn't part of the case. And a judge says, you know what, maybe this is time for this to all play out in court and not in an arbitration setting that would be subject to appeals and et cetera, et cetera. But there's an old saying, bad facts make bad law. What that means is if you have a set of circumstances where people say, man, this just isn't good. Judges find a way to bend the law toward making it right. Even if you're technically fracturing the legal principles that otherwise would apply because you feel like a just result in this case requires it playing out in court, not being hidden away in arbitration. So we'll see. I'm hopeful that it'll all play out in court. All right, we gotta take a break. When we return, NFC East draft needs. By, oh, by the way, by the way, Hannah McNair is Cal McNair's wife. Janice McNair is Cal McNair's mother. We apologize gotcha. for the confusion earlier. NFC East draft needs when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 